Welcome to the My Fishing Cape Cod podcast. The My Fishing Cape Cod podcast is your local source for the latest news and information on fishing Cape Cod. Now, here's your host, Kevin Collins. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of the My Fishing Cape Cod podcast here from MyFishingCapeCod.com. I'm your host, Kevin Collins, back with you for a very special edition of the podcast For those of you that are used to our normal fishing report formatted podcast, you will recognize the voice of our guest on this week's show. It's going to be none other than proud MFCC member Bruno Demir, who is also the owner and GM down at Cape and Islands Mitsubishi. Bruno is a regular on our MFCC fishing report podcast every week. But this past week, he was on vacation up in beautiful Alaska. He was on a fishing expedition up there, a guided one at that. And it was such a cool and unique experience. We figured, why not bring some of that experience to you all the way back here in beautiful Cape Cod in our little My Fishing Cape Cod community. So this podcast is just going to be Bruno and myself. And we've got some great information on fishing Alaska and what it was like for Bruno to live that experience. Well, as promised, our guest on today's edition of the My Fishing Cape Cod podcast is our good buddy Bruno Demir from down at Cape and Islands Mitsubishi. And if you are a religious MFCC podcast listener, you're familiar with Bruno. He appears on the Fishing Report podcast every couple weeks with us. But he's going to be the topic of discussion on this podcast because he just got back fresh off a fishing expedition to the wilderness of Alaska. And Bruno, I'm glad you're back safely. (laughs) So am I, Kevin. Hello, MFCC members. And uh, I'll tell you, this was one of those trips of a lifetime, and there was never a guarantee you're going to make it back home. But I'm definitely uh, glad to be back on the Cape. So for those folks that listen to our podcast here religiously, Bruno, they're going to be familiar with you and your fishing reports, and they probably listened to our podcast uh, almost two weeks ago now, previewing your trip, and now we get to talk a little bit about it. You and I were thinking about trying to do a podcast while you were up there, but service proved to be a challenge, and you were truly out in the wilderness. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 was, it was definitely living on the edge of uh, society and uh, very, very remote, very little contact with the rest of the world. And uh, it was it was really out there, you know. So the first thing I want to ask you about, Bruno, is just your journey up and how you got there. I'm assuming you flew out of Boston. Is that is that correct? And just give us a little bit of a taste on what it was like to just get up there. Sure. I, uh, I flew out of Boston uh, connecting in Chicago, um, that was quite the scare because in Chicago, I got on my connector plane and everyone was uh, bragging about how the plane was so new and only two months old. And I uh, made a comment like, I don't like new airplanes. I like old airplanes. And uh, the stewardess said, why is that? I said, well, you guys usually don't have all the kinks worked out of these newer airplanes. She said, don't jinx it. No, I'm not jinxing it. Well, we never left the tarmac, Kevin. Uh, the plane <laughs> so turned back around, had to give us a different plane. So uh, there's my, uh, you know, good deep society when you're flying. Try to avoid brand new planes. And then uh, the connector took us into uh, Alaska. 
um, into Anchorage. And uh, from Anchorage, um, I had a halibut trip set up in Seward, Alaska. And I took a rental car and drove down to Seward, which is about a two and a half hour ride. And it is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. The mountain ranges, the rivers, uh, super impressive. Um, once I got to Seward, it was amazing. Seward is a small village, uh, fishing village inside of Alaska. Uh, most of your halibut uh, charters are out of Seward, Alaska. Uh, they sit inside a bay and... Uh, great fishery up there and um unfortunately with my luck for the first time in a long time they had unbelievable seas they were about six to seven feet at seven seconds and we unfortunately could not go um halibut fishing i got canceled but it was still very nice to see and uh in June of next year, I'll definitely be going up there and giving it another try at Halibut. So your trip got wiped out, Bruno. Did you spend the night down in Seward? And what did you do? Did you go get a meal? I did. I got a, a meal at Ray's Restaurant, which is a fantastic restaurant, right at the harbor. Um, I had, obviously, some halibut, some king crab. Got that out of my... Out of my uh, off my checklist and and uh, stayed there for the night. And then the following day, I went right back up to Anchorage. Now, from Anchorage, Bruno, I know you were going to go do some, you know, adventuring off into the wilderness. There was a lodge you were staying at to go do some, some freshwater fishing. Is that correct? That's right. So uh, from that point on, I was part of a team of 12 folks, good friends of mine, which had invited me on the trip. Um, and to get to this lodge, I've never been so remote and so away. I mean, I've been to New Hampshire. I've been to Maine. This was a whole nother level of remote. Um, we ended up taking a 10 passenger propeller plane over the volcanic mountains in Alaska, about a one hour flight into Iliama Lake, which is a small village on a lake about the size of Rhode Island. Uh, from there, we got on a beaver plane. Have you ever heard of a beaver, Kevin? Uh, I've heard of the animal. Uh, and when I take a large divot in golf, we sometimes you know, refer to that as a beaver pelt, but I have not heard of a beaver aircraft. So a beaver is basically a pontoon airplane. It's an amphibious airplane. It, it, uh, it lands and lifts off of water. And uh, it's a single propeller plane. It was built in the 40s into the 60s. They stopped building them, I believe, in 1962. And they're considered to be the best bush planes of Alaska ever built in history. So good that every plane that was ever built after that was just never good enough. So it's, it's crazy to think that these planes are so old, but every lodge everyone in Alaska, that's what they fly in. And they just keep rebuilding them after every thousand hours. So they're meticulously maintained, and it's like flying in a 1957 Chevy Bel Air. You know, it's, it's, 
It's very nostalgic. It's five passenger. Now, I don't know if I told you I'm afraid of heights. That I did not know about you. And the other thing I wanted to know about this aircraft was, you know, did they give you a complimentary beverage service? Were there peanuts on board? Anything like that? Uh, I don't think you could even move. It's five passenger, and that's including the pilot. And, uh, yeah, you're in a very small airplane. Um, no beverages, although I must admit my first couple times on this airplane, I had to self-medicate myself with alcohol. But I made it through it. And uh, we took the flight over Iliama Lake, and we landed at this beautiful lodge. Landed in front of Intricate Bay Lodge, beautiful lodge right on Iliama Lake. Uh, great folks up there. Uh, great guides. And, uh, and for the next five days, we basically woke up at 5 in the morning, had breakfast, and they would drop us at the top of a river. And it was a different river every time. And essentially, they drop, drop you off at the top of the river, and they give you about an 8 to 12-mile float, they call it. Basically, they drop you off with your, with your uh, raft. You uh, inflate the raft with the guy. Put all your gear in it. Uh, you're usually done around 3 o'clock, at which point the airplane comes and picks you up at the end and flies you back to the lodge. And that was my day for five days. Tell me about, uh, Bruno, some of the, you know, the fish that you caught. Uh, I'm sure you got some great photos, uh, but you get any good stories of either fish that you caught, fish that got away, or fish that your teammates caught? I'll tell you, this This story was mainly about airplanes being off the grid, really, really big brown bears, grizzly bears, and probably some of the biggest trophy rainbow trout I have ever seen in my life, along with some great silver salmon, which we were able to harvest and uh, bring back to the lodge for dinner. Um, you know, it's very interesting, the fishery up there. The, basically, the way it works is you have a lot of sockeye salmon that come into those rivers. And as they swim up the river, they start dying. And as they're dying, they're dropping off eggs everywhere. And towards the end of their life, they turn bright red. And I will, I'm going to post some pictures up, and I know that Ryan's working on some pictures also, but they turn so red, so beautiful, Kevin, that it looks like a koi pond as you're going down the river. And this was a banner year. From what I understand, there was 78 million sockeye that made it up the rivers of Alaska. So it has been a record that they have not seen for about 50 years. And essentially what's happening is these salmon are dropping their eggs inside these rivers beds. And as the eggs stop floating downriver, the rainbow trout are there to ambush the eggs and eat them. And the salmon are protecting their eggs by biting the, the trout and pushing them out of their egging area. So essentially what you're doing is, is as you're floating down this river, you're fly casting. And I'm not a big fly fisherman, but I learned it. And you're fly casting these little beads that look identical to the salmon egg. 
And on top of that, it's got an indicator, which you fly fishermen out there know what an indicator is. But you folks that have never fly fished before, the indicator is actually what we would call a bobber. And basically that, that, that trout, when it hits the egg, it, it, the indicator goes off, the bobber hits the bottom, and you're on, and you're fighting the fish. Now, what's interesting is when you're fighting the fish, the guide is rowing the raft you know, and trying to land the boat quickly as possible in a location where he feels we're the safest without going too close to the bears. And at that point, we're both getting out of the boat. We're continuing to fight this rainbow and getting it into a net so we could catch and release and get a picture of it without being, you know, harassed by a big brown bear. Uh, So there's a lot of moving parts. Everything's moving fast. And your senses of where you are and who's looking at you and, and where you're walking and everything, it's just on a whole nother level. Everything is at a 10, all your senses. You know, it's it's truly amazing. And I can tell you the biggest rainbow I, I landed was a 28-inch rainbow. And, I mean, we're talking a rainbow the size of a striped bass cap, you know? And we're talking about a rainbow that had the girth of a big 28-inch bluefish. I mean, it was so impressive. I have never seen a rainbow trout that big, you know? Um, and and there were also days where we would fly through the mountains into the coastal part of the rivers where there was silver trout that were also working up their river. Uh, what's interesting about the silver trout is they were in season where they are still freshly coming out of the ocean and into the river. And when they're freshly coming into the river, they still are considered fresh and a saltwater fish. And that's the salmon that you want to catch to um, harvest and eat. Once they get upriver and they start turning color and grow those big humps on their back, at that point they're dying. That's not something you would consume. Although that's why the bears are there. So the bears are there because they're eating all the salmon that are upriver, that are dying, that are slow, that aren't as aggressive. And the bears are just basically going to a buffet and picking out a salmon as they please. And because there's so much salmon and so much food for these bears, they are the biggest brown bears in the world, Kevin. I mean, I saw some bears, some of the male bears that were 1,200 pounds, 1,100 pounds. I've seen bears before in the past, nothing like this. It was absolutely amazing. Was there ever a point, Bruno, whether you were on foot just kind of meandering around or you were on one of these, you know, guided fishing expeditions where you said the guide had to be super skilled, you know, to put you in a spot to land the fish, to not, you know, be in a spot where you'd interact with the bears. But did you ever get real, real close where you were uncomfortable? Uh, Multiple times, multiple times. I'll, I'll tell you one story. I was fighting a rainbow trout. Um, it was a real big trout. I want to say about 25 inch trout. Um, my buddy fisherman was up about 50 yards with an even bigger trout. 
my trout ran downriver as I followed my trout before I knew it. I was about 50 yards away from the guide and my buddy fisherman. So I'm kind of by myself at this point. Um, I land the fish. I unhook it. I release it back into the river. Um, as I'm reeling up my extra line on my fly rod, I look up and about 25 feet right in front of me, about a 600-pound bear came out of the woods. So at this point, your number one instinct as a human being is what? I would say my number one thing in that situation would be to, to you know, flight, <laughs> to run. Yeah, exactly. And they give you a little bit of training. Uh, even though you have a guide with you at all times and you're pretty safe, they do give you some instructions on what not to do. Um, and in, in this situation, um, it was not good because I didn't have the guide around me. And the guides usually have some sort of bear spray or a high uh, capacity revolver. Um, so I'm there by myself and my buddy and the guide can't really see me because I was on the other bend of the river. And, uh, and the number one thing you don't do is run. Um, secondly, they got this saying up in Alaska, which I thought was hilarious. You, you gotta be the bigger bear. And what that means is look as big as possible, look them right in the eyes, be confident and stand your ground. Um, if you have to move, move sideways, don't fall and definitely don't turn your back. And if you must, and you need to protect yourself, and it's, they're getting closer, start kicking around rocks, and if anything, throw rocks. So here I am face-to-face with this bear 20 feet, 25 feet away from me, and the first thing I wanted to do is let the bear know I'm there because you don't want to surprise bears. The, the more noise you make, uh, the earlier the bear knows of your presence, the less nervous they get. So... I called him out and said, hey, bear. And the bear turned right at me, and now we're eye to eye, staring at each other. And as I'm staring at him, I started hearing, you know, wood cracking and leaves moving. And I looked to my 2 o'clock, which was kind of behind me, but to my left. Kevin, and have you ever heard the saying, never get in between a bear and her cubs? Oh, yeah. I was going to just ask if it was a mama bear. (laughs) Yeah, well, I found myself in between a mama bear and her cubs with no one around to help me. And at that point, yeah, you want to run. Trust me. Um, I slowly started stepping to my right as I was speaking to the bear. I don't quite remember what I was saying, but I kept myself calm and just spoke calmly as I walked towards my right and upstream back towards my guide and my friend, I noticed the bear getting more and more comfortable. The cubs eventually walked across the river over to mama bear. At that point, as I started moving closer to my guide, I saw the bear come back out of the woods and start following me. 
by the time it caught up to me, I was close enough to the guide that the guide kind of took over from there. Um, he pulled out his bear mace. Luckily, we didn't have to use it. And the bear kind of got spooked and ran back in the woods with her cubs, and we were all pretty safe at that point. So, Bruno, basically, you know, the, the guide, so to speak, was your, your main defense, right? If you got if you got in trouble, and you said the guide had bear spray and, and a revolver for a worst-case scenario, but there was certainly plenty yeah. of times, you know, when you were on these fishing, you know, daily expeditions where you, you potentially, you know, had to go into survival mode on yourself. It was like man versus wild. That's pretty cool. It's, it's cool, but it's, you know, would I do it again? No, I definitely don't want to do that again. But it's an experience I can tell you I'll never forget. And I know you speak multiple languages, so I was going to ask which language you chose to speak to the bear in. <laughs> well, I was in Alaska, and I was hoping they understood English, you know. And uh, <laughs> and then there were other cases where, you know, um, a group that was fishing about 50 yards north of us in the river got charged by a bear. And at, on that incident, the guide actually had to pull the revolver out. Luckily, he didn't have to use it. But from what they were telling me, it was a thousand pound bear. It was a male. Uh, it had it had scars all over his face. It only had one eyeball. The other eyeball was white. It had a half an ear. So it was a scrapper, you know. And um, it's interesting because what we found out is there's a big difference between a grizzly bear and a brown bear. You see, a brown bear up in Alaska in th- that area is mainly a pescatarian they don't really eat red meat now if a moose dies and the meat's hanging around yes they're going to take advantage of it and eat it but a grizzly bear more like in yellowstone park area in the lower 48 uh 48 states those bears are hunting deer they're hunting moose they're hunting black bears they're they're hunting red meat and human beings are on that menu down you know and occasionally you'll have some of these bears that are red meat eaters that end up at these rivers and stick around once they see the salmon, but they're very aggressive towards humans. And that's what we think was the situation there where they basically had to run in the boat and get the heck off that beach because that big old grizzly did not want them there, you know? Um, and that was pretty much the only two instances I heard of uh, for the majority of the trip, um, especially in some of these, you know, areas where they're protected and they cannot be hunted in national parks. Because um, you got to remember, there's a lot of uh, natives up there that still hunt bears. And um, some of those areas where they're able to hunt them, these bears are very, very skittish, and when they see a human being, they want nothing to do with it, and they go running right back in the woods. But there's other areas, like in those national parks, where they're so used to seeing human beings, and I cannot tell you how many bears there are. I mean, there's every 15, 25 feet, there's a big brown bear eating a salmon. And uh, As a matter of fact, in that same park where the plane landed and where the river begins, was about a half a mile hike with all our gear, including our inflatable um, boat. And when the plane dropped us off, 
and the guy told me we're going to have to walk a half a mile that way to get to the river. I looked around, and there was a big, giant plain. It wasn't like a forestry area, so you could see pretty far ahead of you. I counted 13 bears, Kevin. And we walked through this whole bear country area, and it was amazing how many bears were in that river. But that river also held some of the biggest rainbow trout I think I've ever seen or anybody's going to see. I mean, they they told me that you might catch the fish of a lifetime on Tuesday and you might beat that fish and get your personal best again on Wednesday. And that's really what happened. It was unbelievable. Well, Bruno, I you know, this has been an unbelievable kind of trip down memory lane for you and also just kind of some insight into what people have to look forward to that want to do this type of trip. Uh, is there anything else you want to touch on before I let you go? You know, um, w- one thing that was interesting is on the way back the morning of, um, we have to take two of these little propeller planes to get back. And of course, with my luck, it was 50 mile per hour gusts. <laughs> and, uh, that was, an, I think, I think I was more worried that day than I was about a bear following me around the river. But, uh, with all the turbulence and everything, we made it back, and it was uh, it was impressive. It was impressive. You know, you speak about making it back. Now you're getting back into you know your regular life here on Cape. And I know coming up later this week, you have the winners of your raffle. I just want to mention this real quick. We're going to talk about it during our weekly podcast later on in the week. But I just want to give a shout out to the winners of the Fluke versus Cancer charity fundraiser that you held to benefit Boston Children's Hospital. Uh, I want to get those names. Tim Whitman and Mark Bonvillar are the two winners of the Fluke versus Cancer fundraiser raffle. Uh, Mark has been in a proud MFCC member since 2017. And Tim is a newcomer to My Fishing Cape Cod, and he joined in April of this year. 2022 and i know these guys are going to be fishing not only with you bruno but with cousin eddie as well coming up here later in the week yeah we're going to definitely report back on how we do that day but thank you to everyone again for donating uh for such a great cause and i'm glad to see such great guys from the boston area win uh the trip and uh we're looking forward to getting those guys out and putting them on some flatfish well that'll be a great kind of reinitiation for you back into to normal life here on cape bruno i want to thank you for taking some time to do this special podcast with us and share some of your experience up in alaska and i look forward to catching up with you later in the week when we do our usual visit on the mfcc podcast sounds good kevin my thanks to proud MFCC member Bruno Demir from down at Cape and Islands Mitsubishi for taking time out of his busy schedule to join us here on this special edition of the My Fishing Cape Cod podcast. It was awesome to hear about Bruno's account of his action-packed Alaska adventure. As usual, Bruno will be joining us on the regular MFCC Fishing Report podcast that we'll probably look to record later in the week. So sure hope you enjoyed this special edition of the My Fishing Cape Cod podcast. This is your host, Kevin Collins, signing off. And until we chat again, tight lines and take care. Thanks for tuning in to the My Fishing Cape Cod podcast. 
For the latest local news, information, and fishing reports, be sure to log on to MyFishingCapeCod.com. From all of us at My Fishing Cape Cod, tight lines and take care.